Hey everybody, just a quick heads up. This week, Bo and I got to talking and actually forgot to cut the intro until after the fact. So it's going to seem like we do the intro and you're going to jump right into an existing conversation, but in reality, you didn't miss a whole lot. We just started talking about the concept of 10,000 hours to mastery. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to episode 35 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Hey, Dan. Greetings and salutations. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no substitute for time in, you know? You just, however you got to do it, you got to put the time in. And if you can do it eight hours a day, great. You're going to seem like a whiz kid because it happened faster. But, you know, you get your initial 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. Even like 10,000 hours, I, I did the math on that, and if you're doing... Um, what I figure like two hour classes, five days a week, which is pretty solid training. You're still looking at like 10 years. Yeah. So showing up a lot for 10 years. Yeah. That's, you're going to be an expert for sure. It just, well, and it's not, it's, it's simple, but not easy. You just, just do the work. You know? Yeah. That's the thing is, um, so the 10,000 hour issue and the, even the 10 year issue, both, um, I forget if it's the the authors of the the book Peak that I'm reading or the the one I read before, which I'm actually the name of it escapes me. But there was studies that were done, and what they found is that the ten thousand hour you need ten thousand hours to become good at something that came about from a big study that was done that showed that the average high level musician from like, I think it was from like a music school or something, or maybe what they did is they, it was either, I think it was like a German music school, like they're all pianists or something. Um, the average elite level, like at the top tier, um, they put in 10,000 hours. That's where that comes from. That isn't actually a number yeah. where it's like you need 10,000. Um, no, 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 no. I think Gladwell is the one that popularized that. Yeah, I mean, it's, he, it's no, a rough That's actually correct, course, yeah. Glad, Gladwell extrapolated a bit and was like, he basically, from what I understand, because uh, I don't remember exactly what he said, um, but the gist of what he said was like, the study shows 10,000 hours. And so the average person can expect to do better if they do that. And then people were like, oh, I just need 10,000 hours and I'm good. The problem, um, and I think the nuance that he apparently missed is that it has to be deliberate. Like you have to actually challenge yourself for 10,000 hours. Right. Versus, because like if you didn't have to challenge yourself, then what would happen is um, every old person would be better than every young person at everything. Provided they just stuck with one thing and did it their whole lives. But that actually isn't what happens, it, not only because of cognitive decline, but there's been plenty of studies that have shown that salesmen and doctors in particular who have been doing things for 20 years are actually worse at their job than one, two, three years salesmen who are three years into their job or doctors who are three years into the, into the job. They actually yeah. perform worse because they don't challenge themselves. There's no standard with which you need to actually update everything. And the best doctors and the best salesmen is it, or and the best really anybody um, in anything or the businessmen are the people that every year they challenge themselves and learn new things versus doing the same thing every year for 25 years. Cause then you just do yeah, there's, one year there's for a guy 25 named Jim years. Rohn. Yeah. Okay. It, well, exactly that point. There's a guy named Jim Rohn. Uh, he's a, Successful businessman turned uh, motivational speaker. It's been around for a long ass time. He's actually the guy that got Tony Robbins started. Yeah, Tony okay. Robbins went to a Jim Rohn uh, seminar 
fell in love with it, started working for him, and then eventually branched off and became Tony Robbins. Um, but so I, I'm a big fan, is why I bring it up. But he uh, he speaks to that point by saying. Um, do you have 10 years experience or do you have one year experience 10 times? Right, exactly. And I, I've heard that thrown yeah. around in a couple of the books that I've read is that something similar of, I think even Gordon Ryan mentioned it. I, th- I think I think I heard him mention it in a podcast, you know, um, something similar. And it's like, it's it just the notion of you have to continually grow and get better. And, um, you know, he, he actually criticizes a lot of gym owner competitors um, because of that. Like they they're busy with other things. And so they can't put in the full-time work required to get better. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like these are high level grapplers in this case who are able to, uh, do a couple of things very well, right? Like you have your meow brothers and the Baron Bolo and the back takes and their, you know, genetic ability to not tap to footlocks which isn't really a learned trait. It's, it, it is a little bit like I'm sure that they do some things that allow for their joints to have a little more flexibility. They're mechanically in places where they they can allow for more flexibility. You can learn that, but mm-hmm. having flexible ligaments in the knee is for the most part, I believe is just genetic. Like you just have flexible ligaments. Some people don't, I think. Yeah. Um, but Mendez brothers are the same way with their 50, 50 and their Baron Bolos and their back takes like they're really good at that. Um, Marcelo with the butterfly. Um, Hodger with Elio's 36 original moves from the 20s, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But they all ran gyms. And so it's hard for them to to get better at other things versus someone like Gordon who spends all day and has a coach to help him. And um, it's always hard in that who's the best debate, right, to, to go different generations. But I would not be shocked if for the next 10 years, we see Gordon Ryan once a year, like pick the positions he's going to dominate world champions in. That's what I want to see him do next is like (laughs) for 2021 for 2022, I'm only going to dominate from close guard. I'll fight anybody for any amount of money, whatever. I will take on Andre Galvao. I'll take on Nikki Rod, whoever. And I'm going to close guard everyone and then choke or mount them. Or choke or armbar them, whatever, just from the close guard. That's it. Right. I won't pass. That'd be super gangster. <laughs> yeah. I feel like what's going to happen, though, is like, that's kind of what's next for him. He's beat everybody. And so it's like, it would be gangster. It'd be, it'd be legit. But I also think that if he's the only person or one of the few who's training at the level required to become the, the greatest, and I think that he's actually doing that, all the other world champions out there will stand no chance. If Marcelo can do it, because it's basically what Marcelo did, he recorded all of his rolling sessions and what he taught and what he did, made it free to the world, and then went and did it to everybody for like five years. Right. And Marcelo is very good. In my opinion, I think he's actually one of the greatest of all time, but he didn't train with the same. There's no way he, he had the time to train with the same intensity that Gordon does because he had a gym to run. Yeah. Like there, there is just not enough time in the day to do those things, period. And um, he also didn't strength train, which I think, um, you know, there's arguments about whether or not strength training is the outside of jujitsu is necessary. I think it is uh, at that level. I think it's completely necessary um, just for being able to a, a because athleticism and strength come into play at that level. But also mm-hmm. it, 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 it'll help protect your ligaments and your joints and your bones 
from injury. Yeah. You know, and uh, you don't really need sport specific training, I don't think, because you do enough jujitsu. Like, I'm not sure how many pull ups with the gi over a bar is going to really help you. You know, you grab like the, the, the gi collar and then you do pull ups. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure how many of those you do every day is really going to help you with your, uh, with, with any kind of a, a, a collar grip or a, an arm drag. It's like you're already doing those kinds of things. Um, it's not clear to me that that's going to have an effect, but um, I it could, could. I could see it helping. I mean, it, part of it is going to be, so you got uh, time under tension in, in a, you know, the, a workout concept. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you are strictly rolling, you get a good collar, arm drag, and then you move on to something else. Even yeah. if you're doing specifics, it's going to be 30, 60, 120 seconds before you go back to that position and do it again. Yeah. Versus just doing reps. So it's it's going to hit your energy systems a little bit different. I, I would say, or I, w- I would hypothesize there would definitely be some benefit to, the, uh, uh, to fit in some of that. W- w- yeah, and I could see an argument for that. What I'd be curious to, to know, though, is um, so let's go with collar grips as an example. Most people have grip collars wrong. Um, they activate uh, the ring finger, which activates the elbow and causes like tennis elbow and shit like that. Because like my, my middle fingers are longer, but when I close my hands, my ring fingers are longer, and it actually activates the joint all the way, to the, the the tendon all the way down to the elbow. So a more effective way to grab is with the, the the thumb and the first and the middle finger. So you are only using the fingers versus using the elbow for that grip, which is I think in part why when you do like collar chokes, they people often say to remove your pinky and your ring finger. It's because it's, a, it's easier to choke, but you're you're using less strength to do so. Because you're not activating the elbow and the forearm and all that kind of stuff. And so there's more efficient ways to grip in those situations. So doing a pull-up would be hard, I think. But um, the other thing I would say, though, because I would want to see more data on that and actually learn more about those the proper ways to grip. But um, the other thing is the imbalance issue. Like you spend a lot of time in you spend a lot of time in in the gi, let's say, uh, gripping things, um, and you can use other sports as an example, like say tennis players. Um, they spend a lot of time serving with one way, like no one that I know of, at least I'm sure it's not common at high level tennis to serve with your left or your right hand. You pick one side and you go same with batting. Like in baseball, you bat one way. Um, but doing additional strength training to strengthen that is just going to imbalance the other side of your body, which isn't good. And even though jujitsu may be arguably more of a balanced, um, sport than other sports, because we do things on both sides of the body and the, you, you pick one side and you go like if you have a high level arm drag, it's one way. Like, well, you, that you just work that into your strength training. I mean, for, for that exact reason, yeah. you do both sides and you do opposing muscle groups. I mean, you're absolutely right, but you yeah. can incorporate that into your training. And it's it, in a lot of cases, if you work the opposing muscle group, the first muscle group will get stronger yeah. because the system is more balanced. So yeah, you yeah, just got to take it into account. No, very true. Yeah. I, I, from my understanding, there isn't a, a, I'd like to see at least see, I haven't looked it up. I'm, I'm curious if there's a good amount of data um, about uh, sport specific training versus generalized training and how that mm-hmm. affects your ability to uh, operate at a high level in a specific sport versus, uh, um, you know, does it hinder? Like, I'd be curious to know because um, I've, I've never heard anything personally, and you actually may be able to speak to this, but I've never heard anything personally that, um, sport specific training in a sport to balance out imbalances is actually more efficient. Um, and it seems like that's something people would know 
if there's data about it, right. Versus you go to the gym and you do power lifts and, um, and those kinds of things. And then you go do your sport specific training for practice. Um, I'm curious like how that breaks down. Cause I would do more jujitsu related resistance band trainings. If that's the case, I don't mind. Um, I do shots like with a, with a, um, a resistance banner on my waist and I tie it to like an anchor or something in that, but uh, that's just to create resistance. It isn't really, um, it's just simply so that I can return back and have that. Uh, but that's about the only one that I can think of that I've really done. That's in any way sport specific. Um, yeah, I'm always trying to learn new, new ways to do stuff like that. Just so I, I just want to get better and not overwork my yeah. body. Like I, I, I'm not trying to get tennis elbow and then not be able to, and arthritis in my fingers and then not be able to grip anything anymore. You know? <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the thing about the ring finger. I had not heard about that. Um, and w- with regard to the mechanics across your elbow. Yeah. Um, if that, you cl- and I have, I've had bad elbows before. It's super fucking annoying. You can't see um, it in the, in the camera. Let's see, but see the muscle moving. That's yeah. only, you can't see my hand, but that's only my ring finger. Now this right. is my middle, this is my middle finger. I'll try and this is my first finger ring finger. It's much more pronounced. Can you see mm. that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't know the exact like anatomy of why this is the case, but it, it I think basically the, uh, the tendon that runs from the, the first finger into the elbow, it's longer. And so it's activating more of the forearm into the elbow and, um, mm. Like I'm sure someone else who understands this way better than I do can explain it in a much more clear way. But um, it, uh, I think it's actually partly response. I used to have I used to have elbow issues um, for about a year, actually, uh, not last year or not two years ago, but uh, the three years ago now because I, I keep forgetting the last year existed. Um, so like the <laughs> first year or two into my blue belt, um, I had uh, I had el- elbow issues in my left hand in particular. Um, and I think it's actually because of collar grips from doing that, um, from taking all four fingers in the thumb and like grabbing a collar really hard and, yeah. uh, you know, just being like, and then squeezing versus getting the three fingers and having the thumb on top. It's really hard to put my finger in the camera, having the thumb on top to reinforce that top finger. Um, the, the, the pointer finger. I'm trying to look a traditional judo grip. You remove the pointer finger. They, they grip with the bottom three and leave the pointer finger loose. Yeah, I know. I think it's and for a different reason, like the, the mechanics of a throw, as you, if you're pulling directly in line with that. I think so, the too. The pointer finger will kind of mess you up. But, but yeah. I also think that's, I mean, I don't think that there's any judo player who doesn't develop arthritis after doing judo, in yeah. part because of how much they grip. Like, that's part of the problem is that I, I think that given the physicality of their gripping, like you're just going to get arthritis if you do this at a high level. Like you're just kind of fucked. That's why I don't so play like, spider guard, man. My yeah. hands are way too important for me. I, yeah, I can't be jacking up my knuckles like that. Right, exactly. No, and so it's like it's, it. it's like at that point is not using your index finger because of the the trauma it causes to your elbow over 40 years. Is that going to really matter if you're operating at a high level? Probably not. And then there's the mechanical function of, remo- like you said, removing that ring finger and being able to like rotate the wrist and stuff. Yeah, um, I'm, yeah I'd, I'd be curious to know all I've never heard Travis Stevens talk about the gripping like that yet. I'm curious because he talks about everything. Um, yeah. He's probably mentioned like the mechanics of gripping and like how you deal with um, bad fingers and stuff. He's also broken or 
fractured like most of the major bones in his body so from doing judo so um he's like tore his knee out like three times broken some ribs had mo- i think he's broken every single one of his fingers at one point it's just like crazy shit um but yeah I, I, sean actually told me about the the finger issue um he's uh i'll, I'll send you the video he made about it he actually made a video about okay, it it's, yeah. a, it's unlisted on youtube but i'll send it to you um oh sweet and uh, I forget who he bases the info on. He learned it from somebody, and it's a very interesting. Um, I've been trying to do that when I lift, though, with my resistance bands, because like you can do it with. It's hard to do it with weights, like free weights. To grab right. free weights with you know three fingers is, is, is you know a fruitless endeavor. But with <laughs> resistance bands, you can do that, no problem. And um, I actually, uh, I've actually noticed less tension in my elbow after I, I don't get a lot of tension because it's resistance training. So there's not really any like uh, joint trauma, but like my, mm-hmm. my forearms don't tense up as much. I don't get as much of a pump in my forearms, which I, which I like because I'm, I'm able to do it for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, I, it's some, I gotta try some of that. that yeah. Yeah. Um, it's plus uh, I, I'm excited to see like, as I start gripping collars more doing jujitsu, um, if that, uh, if that has an effect on my ability to grip, you just to hold, hold a grip and not burn out that kind of thing. Um, I'm not really, I don't really care if my grip is necessarily, uh, stronger. I'd rather be mechanically correct than stronger. Um, but, just to well, be endurance able to, is the biggest thing, right? That's it's what like, I, that, that's what I mean. Is that yeah. if I have like a lot of strength, but I have no endurance, then I can grip you really hard once. But as soon as you strip it, I'm done because I have no more arm. It's like I don't want yeah. that. I, I want to be able to mechanically grab it, get a grip well, and you have a hard time stripping the grip. But I can just continually do it without it being a problem, you know. Um, and then having that strong mechanical functionality of like it's really difficult to break my grip, even though I'm not trying hard. Um, so we'll see. Um, I don't use a lot of collar grips. It's something that I want to focus on, but I have so many other things I've been trying to focus on that uh, um, it's very far down the list for me. Um, sure. I'm teaching all the kids about defensive postures and frames and stuff, and so collars haven't come into play yet, nor do I think they will for probably a good while. We'll see. Um, it's I, yeah. I like to... I don't know if this is correct or not, but I like to be able to translate my gripping from gi to no gi. And so, like, I, I suppose, yeah, I like to be able I mean, to. Obviously, there's going to be some fundamental differences, but yeah, yeah, but I like to be able to, you know, if I'm if I'm grabbing a collar, like the the only realistic way to mimic that in the no gi is to get a collar tie, but that's not always yeah. reasonable. Um, and if I want to practice a collar tie, I can just do it in both. And I, I actually been working on grabbing fingers, all four fingers, um, mm-hmm. and the palm, then the gi, the the the, 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 um, the sleeve grip, just to see what that's like. And I actually like grabbing the fingers better. Um, it annoys the hell out of people, and it's easier to grab. <laughs> and I'm less likely to hurt my fingers when they like jerk their hands away. You know, like I just grab a. It's hard, actually it's actually really hard to get your hand out of someone's grip if they um, go like this. Like it's really yeah. difficult to get your hand back, <laughs> and and often too, like if I'm in like the say the uh, S mount, the bottom of S mount, or like the bottom of mount or the bottom of side control, it's really hard to get a sleeve grip, depending on the angle of your hands, you know. Yeah. And so I need to, or maybe the sleeve grip I would get isn't advantageous to me. 
but I can always reach up and just grab four fingers because you're going to try and go for the neck. You're going to try and peel my elbow like because you want to get underneath the elbow and get my top mm-hmm. arm and you want to get behind, try and grab a collar for a collar choke. And I can just reach up, grab all four fingers, and then I'll worry about it. And then if you pull back and you get your hands out, like, well, then I can cover my neck. If I grab yeah. the collar grip and I bend the fingers and you pull, like it's right into the nails, right into the fingers, like it hurts. And then, and also if I grab like that, the way that you get out is to push your hands forward, which actually just gets it deeper into the choke. Like, it, so, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want that. So I just grab the fingers and hold, um, and I can do that gi or no gi. And so, yeah, I've been trying to play around with that. I know that there's different schools of thought about whether, um, whether or not, it, you know, you should just practice one set of gripping, one gripping system that works in gi and no gi, or whether you should develop different systems for both. I like, I understand, I think that there's merits to both. Um, yeah. Ultimately, it's just how much time do you have to put into it? That's the thing is that like, I'm trying if you're to doing six hours a day, then learn both, you know? Yeah. Right. And my, yeah. my big thing is I'm trying to 80, 20 as much as I can. Yeah. And um, partially with time, but partially because I want to 80, 20 as much as I can so that I can learn as much as I can. You know, I, I'm not yet at a point where I feel that I want to or need to specialize in one thing um, and make that my game. Like I don't, that I haven't yet reached a point. I think, I think apparently you're supposed to reach that in like your end of your blue early purple belt or during purple belt. You're supposed to be like, this is my game. This is what I'm going to do. And then you do that for five years and you get a black belt. Or something to that effect. I don't, whatever. And then you change your game. <laughs> it's your first yeah. game, but yeah, most people that have been rolling for 20, 30 years. If you go through phases. So, yeah. And like, yeah. my big thing is like, I, I could care less about that. Like I, I, I want to learn how to defend myself better. That's, you know, and, um, so that my game is that that's, that's just what happens when people sit on me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then at some point, I, at some point in the future, Brian's going to be like, Bo, you need to practice submissions more. Like, I, I need you choking more people so that I know you can do this. And then at that, at that point, then I'll be like, okay, fine. Like, I'll stop. Um, I'll stop turtling up and I'll start choking people. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really in any rush to make that happen. I, um, I know a lot of, uh, I read a lot about like, uh, we've talked about blue belt blues on the podcast before and like how, how people go through different progressions and different belts and what to expect and all that. And the impression I've always got is that, um, you know, blue belts learn some defense and they kind of hone their white belt skills and can defend themselves. And then purple belts are like all attacky and they, they learn everything. And, but it's always attacks and flashy stuff. And, and then brown belts get really lazy and then black belts start over. And it's like, I'm like, I I just want to do as little as possible forever. (laughs) I don't care about flashy stuff. Like, that is that is that is doesn't really have an interest. But the flashiest thing I like is like leg lock entries, which isn't even flashy anymore. Now it's just like a normal thing. So, um, I would just rather do find stuff that works always and just do it repeatedly. Yeah. I, that's one of Brian's big philosophies, and that's actually one thing I agree with him on. Um, I think it needs to be continually updated, but um, because you need to update things continually. But uh, I'm much more. I'm not like, ooh, this is a new choke. I need to. Or I'm not trying to learn worm guard or laser guard. There's a new guard out that uh, Keenan Cornelius is talking about. It's called laser guard. Laser with a uh, with a Z, not an S. Very trendy. So it's like British. I think it's a. I don't know. Like 
because I think laser oh. typically is spelled with an S, not a Z. So it's yeah. not, um, but it's laser guard. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just like a, actually, I can't, I'm, I can't even remember what it is, but it just reminded me of like any other guard you would do, like an open guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate Keenan's um, innovations for sure. I mean, you know, he's in that sense is important, but um, I definitely don't gravitate to, frankly, any of his techniques. No, you know, I mean, I like to understand him. So he's trying to put me in warm guard or whatever. But yeah, I don't have that kind of time to pursue it. Yeah, and I'll it's all stick with the basics. Oh, I, yeah, the impression I get is that because I mean, he's obviously very talented. Um, you know, he's put in the time and. Um, you see that with how he ran through all the colored belts in particular and how he's had um, more success than basically everybody at the black belt level, but a good amount of success against other competitors at the black belt. He's obviously won a few world championships and, and whatnot, and he's very successful. And But you see him kind of do what Eddie Bravo actually succeeded at doing, which is creating an entirely new jujitsu with totally different names. Yeah. But it... it this is, you know, a, an armchair hot take, but it looks, looks like he's doing a worse job at it. <laughs> like, that's the impression I get is like, he's just doing like a lazy man's version. He's like, well, this is like a weird, weird angled version of De La Hiva. I'm going to call it laser guard or whatever, you know, like worm guard. Like, I, I can't remember what worm guard is, but it just reminds me of like, a, like what all these kind of guards I see him do. I'm like, Marcella does that. Like you just, you're just facing yeah. a different direction. Like Marcella did that in the 2000s. You just instead of facing the person, you're like facing their leg, or something. You know, like uh, what's it? Um, cra- the crab guard. Crab guard, or like maybe it's the crab ride. Is that, that like the, that whole thing? Like oh, the it, crab ride. I've heard of that. Yeah. I don't know it specifically, that, but I, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. open guard. You're just in a big spoon position. Like you're just you're, <laughs> yeah. you're just behind the person, and it's like that's yeah. what Marcelo did to uh, Rico Rodriguez um, before Rico Rodriguez like dropped him on his back, like he just got him in an open guard from the back, and then like pushed his knees down. It's like this doesn't need a name. It's just you're you're just an open guard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see the value of and and now that we're you know several years past uh eddie bravo really you know hitting the stage and getting popular i think there is value in even if it's a technique from you know 30 years ago but give it a name that's easy to remember yeah and then also support that with a system around it Uh, this is the position this is where you can go from it this is how you can get to it all that and just kind of um consolidating all that information and giving it an easy label I, i definitely see value in that you know, and, and well, it's I think, necessary. I, no, it's not necessary, but it, it helps. Yeah. And I don't think, or at least I haven't seen Keenan try to claim that he's creating a bunch of new stuff. True, he, he, you know, he may have rights like Worm Guard because yeah, he he has a lot of techniques around that, and you know, it's a system. But to just for the sake of disseminating the information and give it easy labels mm-hmm. and show how it connects to other things, that's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah, and, and that's kind of what I mean by it's necessary. I think that if there if there isn't um, signposts enough signposts in a in any kind of an endeavor, people who are new can't understand what to do. Like, yeah, if 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 if, uh, if there wasn't a differentiation between mount and guard, which 
for all intents and purposes, the only difference is the inversion of where the people are. Yep. Um, then it, it would be much more confusing for new people. Like you need to point and say, this is why this is the case. And this is what you can do here. Um, on some level, it gets ridiculous. Um, because you, you like, you need to be able to point to things so that people can understand them. Like, um, a, a good example of this would be how words function. Like words are actually it, 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 the exact example of what we're describing. If you don't, this is why it's necessary. If you don't actually pull words out of letters, then no one knows what words, no one knows what letters are. They, there's a random assortment. So you have to figure out words when you learn a foreign language to be able to say, I know that. I know what that means. But if you do it too much, then it becomes too confusing because there's too many. And like that's actually the problem that I have with, um, personally, with my limited knowledge of 10th um, planet uh, vernacular is that there's so much stuff. And it's so crazy. Like it the, the, the bar for learning it all is very high. And maybe you could argue that the bar is pretty high with um, jujitsu that doesn't have crazy names. With the invention of all the open guard, different open guards that there are, I think that there's a there's a case to be made for that. You know, 30 years ago, there, De La Hiva did not exist as a name. People just did it, but they didn't exist, right? Yeah. Um, you had open guard and close guard and, you know, side control and back, back mount. Um, and that, 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 that was it. Right. And there you go. Standing boom. That's it. Yeah. And more is necessary because there are more positions and it allows you to, during a roll, stop at a place and say, okay, well, I know what to do here now versus this is all a mad scramble. Like you have to be able to differentiate between those two things. Otherwise everything is just a mad scramble. And uh, Preet Mickelson is uh, um, with his work on Turtle is doing that for defense. I think that's one of the reasons I actually like Preet is that not only because he's focusing on defense and no one focuses on the defense and defensive positions, but he's a big proponent of no, like there are Turtle positions. It's not just a transition place. It's there's a, it's a position with systems. And to assume How do you that spell that dude's name P R I I T. Um, M-I-H-K-E-L-S-O-N. Thank you. Um, okay. And one of his main points is like, people assume that, uh, I'm trying to see if I can phrase what he says correctly. He's like, it, being able to identify turtle and um, side turtle, which he calls uh, running man or the hawking, um, named it for Stephen Hawking. Um, <laughs> it's, it was just, it, it's a, it's a, not politically correct joke, but uh, it's funny because um, he what does he say? He says, um, we call it this like the, he's like, I call it uh, in, re in reverence to Stephen Hawking because um, he was a genius. And this move is genius. And, <laughs> and, it, and it actually like I, I do it and it, it. I'm very bad at it. And people still have trouble working through it to like choke me and take my back and stuff and, and, and mount me and or mount, mounting is easy, but to take the back and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and then the, the posture mim mimics the posture that he's kind of was stuck in for most of his life yeah. in a wheelchair. So it's like a dark joke and like also a, uh, an ode to a very smart individual. Um, <laughs> I'm going to come up with a different name when I teach it to kids. Cause I don't really want to explain that joke to their parents. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
it, de- it definitely speaks to, and I think Eddie Bravo has been the best at this, but giving, even if it sounds weird, but a meaningful name that helps you remember. Yeah. You know, like Mission Control, New York, the Kung Fu move, all these things that sound super crazy until he explains why he named them that way. Like, oh, yeah. and you get in that position like, oh, and you remember the the details that you need to have. So No, very, very true. Yeah. And it, I always uh, personally, I go through this battle of um, I want to learn, like, like I said, I, I think it's necessary to have these kinds of signposts or these uh, um trenches where you once you get to that place you know things you can do yeah like if you're not aware that side control is a position that you can hold or that s mount is a position that you can hold and isn't just a transition or a scramble into something else then you miss all the opportunities from those positions to do things you know Mm -hmm. and that's what happens with new people is like they don't understand that like what they don't know um but you you have too many things and you can't learn them all and you get lost in the weeds. And so there's a, I always struggle with the balance of like, I think Eddie Bravo has done a phenomenal job of um, naming these things in ways that are catchy. So people are like, oh, like, you know, there's some, what's the one of them is like called the meat hook and the lockdown, like all these weird names. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, they're funny part because he's a funny guy who gets high a lot, probably comes with all these crazy names when he's high, but they're necessary. Um, but at the same time, like I crave simplicity. And as I've been reading a bunch of these books about high performance and peak performance and all that kind of stuff, what I've learned is that, um, and you actually, people actually preach this in jujitsu, uh, you hear black belts talk about this all the time, but you essentially have to learn the complexity before you can simplify the complexity. Yeah, that's that's across pretty everything, much any knowledge. Everything. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it's interesting to like hear this come up in so many different things that I learn about. Is it's like I have to learn all of the complex things, and it's a lot, and I have to take it one chunk at a time, one bit at a time. And then as I get more efficient at it, I chunk everything, and that's actual like a technical term of chunking. It's where you look mm-hmm. at a group of things versus one individual thing. Um, and, uh, you know, in jujitsu, we do it all the time in positions. It's harder to explain, I think, in jujitsu than other, other, um, other sports. But, um, I think for jujitsu players, it, it amounts more to invisible jujitsu. That seems to me to be the best way to describe chunking is, um, being able to look at what people are doing when they roll and just know by the, the lack of posture or where the leg is or um, where the head is like what's going to happen next because you can Mm -hmm. see the misalignments in the body. Um, But you, it's not like a physical thing where you're like, his arms clearly going to get broken. It's like, well, his neck is tilted a little bit. So he has to fall over. And it's like a, right. Um, You just, you learn to pick that up because you learn to see everything as a whole because you know what to expect in those situations. But um yeah, it's, it's been very interesting to, to learn that. And so I've been trying to, I've been having this battle for a while now where it's like, I want more information. You know, I want to learn more about all these crazy ass open guards that I didn't care about a year ago or two years or three years ago. And I want to learn more about this choke and that arm bar and this Kimura and practice Kimura traps and do more leg locks. And, but at the same time, it's like, I want to do one thing. I want to simplify it all into just something that's cohesive and, um, and it, it 
it's, it's, a, it's a fun frustration to deal with. It's like, I can't do all that at once. <laughs> so I got, I have to like pick one thing, suck it up and just learn it and yeah. see, see how it fits in with everything else and then move on to something else and then move on to something else. And, um, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned, uh, Keenan earlier because I recently saw a video where he was explaining his deliberate practice. Um, and he said that was really where his training took off somewhere around the blue belt, purple belt, um, uh, point in his, uh, education. And when he got really specific, he would pick a thing for like a month and I'm just going to work on sweeps or I'm going to work on this, you know, close, close guard, arm bar, whatever, uh, and stick with that. Like you're saying, that's when, you know, his, uh, particularly his, uh, competitive performance really took off. Yeah. So I, I'm actually, I'm glad we brought it up today because I kind of locked it into my head. Like, okay, when I get back to the gym, I want to start doing that and be more deliberate with what I'm practicing. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to teach actually is, uh, is trying to, uh, do new ways. And, um, I haven't pushed it too much, but I'm going to be pushing, uh, the other coaches because the other coaches we have, they do the adult classes. And so, um, I'm going to nudge them gently to see if they're willing to, uh, uh, try what I'm trying to see how it works with adults. Um, but, uh, and if they don't, then I'm just going to keep doing it until my kids get so good that they fuck up all the adults in the adult classes and then <laughs> be like, what are you guys doing? It's like, uh, you know, blue belts and purple belts are getting tapped by my, my orange belts. There are 12. So we need to work on some things here, but, uh, there'll, there'll be a waste from that, of course. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, so two things with that, with the Keenan and the deliberate practice, cause it's, that's not surprising to me that he went through that, um, I, I actually haven't heard of any competitor in jujitsu that hasn't done that. Even the even the the world champions that Gordon Ryan talks you know, shits on, on, on online, um, he does it better, I think, and so more power to him. But um, you look at any of the competitors because there's, there's a good number of the Brazilians in particular that like take time off during the, the summer and let themselves go and just coach and, you know, hang out and have friends and have a life and put on some weight. And then they cut for competitions and stuff. Um, but, you know, Bernardo, Bernardo Ferrio uh, was famous for this. He, he practiced like three things during his like run is like the best heavyweight in the world for like five years. He did three things. You knew he was going to come at you hard, get into deep half, come up and do his famed over under pass into a side controller mount. And then he was going to do one of like, you know, a choke, an arm bar or a, 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 like a, an arm lock, like some kind of an arm lock. That's what he did. He didn't do anything else. Very rarely did he do foot locks. You know, he, he just was over under pressure pass into the back or into the mount. Like, he was just all about being on top and heavy pressure. And so he could just do that over and over and over and over again against better and better, better people. And there's a form of deliberate practice. It maybe isn't as high performing as it could have been. So maybe it's much more um, precision practice, right? He he's, hasn't quite hit the deliberate practice, but he's good at what he does. And he's done it enough times that he's able to beat people with it. But um, so you have Keenan doing this. I think that's why Lloyd Irving was had such a good, uh, such a strong um, competition team that Keenan was a part of. Is that from what I understand of his competition team, as much as you know, he's got his problems as a person. Um, that's basically oh, that guy. Okay, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Keenan left Hawaii to go train with him. I think at like Brown Belt or something, um, and he. he 
Lloyd Irving's team, like basically just had like all of the, like the best blue through black belts were like in his team. Like they just, they fucked everybody up, but they also all lived in like a compound and did jujitsu 12 hours a day. And it was survival of the fittest. And like, you were constantly like in fear of like losing your place, um, to go compete and stuff. Like it was, it was pretty cutthroat, but that, that, um, that environment would breed that deliberate practice mentality. It's like a wrestler's mentality, but like much more cultish and worse where you're, you're constantly being challenged. And if you slip up, you don't perform. Like you take a step back and someone else, because of the competition will take your step, take your, take your place. And then you have to work back to get it. And that's a form of deliberate practice because you're, you're constantly being challenged to do better. And there's no resting on those laurels. Um, Kit Dale does this as well. Did you ever hear um, Yoel Romero on the Rogan podcast? No, but I, I, it's something I was going to watch and I forgot. It, it's good. And, and part of it, he's talking about when he was um, training in Cuba for the, I think it was the national wrestling team. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they structured it was basically whoever won the day, like whoever's kicking everybody's ass for that day, gets to eat three meals. And everybody else gets two. <laughs> And I mean, it was, you know, that level of you're, you're literally fighting for food. Yeah. Um, so they just that exact same mentality of, you know, survival of the fittest and we're going to make it extreme and it produced a Romero. So <laughs> it's effective. It may not be all that uh, humane or compassionate or anything wow. like that, but if you don't care about that stuff and all you really want is champions, uh, that's, that's one way to do it. I wonder if that is a side effect of, the socialism that has uh, been pushed in Cuba for the last uh, how many ever years. And if that's just, if that's just how deliberate practice functions under socialism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know if that'd be considered deliberate practice, but it's uh, yeah. Fighting for food. <laughs> you, could, you could possibly you call you better that win. like deliberate genocide. Maybe that might be a better way to put that, but that's uh we don't have to go into that today. That I, I just made it unnecessarily political for no reason. <laughs> that just popped into my head. But yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it, Yol Romero's absolutely fucking crazy. But um, yeah, Kid Dale does that as well. Like his whole uh, shtick about training is, um, in a nutshell, it's uh, no drilling, positional sparring. That's what he, that's really what he talks about is he he doesn't, and what he rails against is the old school drilling of, okay, the coach shows a triangle from, from the guard. So I'm in your guard, you're in my guard. I do some kind of basic or fancy maneuver to where I can break your posture, get one arm inside in against the chest, throw the legs up and then do the whole thing. You know, you just do your whole triangle and then you don't resist three times. And then we switch. And then we do that for five minutes and then show something else. And then, you know, this, this standard class. Yep. And he's like, that's useless. <clears throat> you know, he's like, I would just skip that after a while. Cause I realized how inefficient it was. And then I would show up to roll and then I would just put, I would basically try triangles all the time in position. I'd talk to my partners and be like, okay, I'm going to put you in a triangle. Let's work from here. Or I'm only going to go for triangles. So try and defend them, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, now, it's funny because Kit is like super lazy. He's like a laid back, lazy Australian guy who's 
physically gifted. You know, he, he was like a semi-pro rugby player before he did jujitsu. So he was like in really good shape. So he could actually get away with being lazy and doing this kind of training. And, um, I referred to precision practice versus deliberate practice earlier. I think that's more of what he's doing is that he has an idea of where he wants to go and he challenges himself, but there are probably more, I think there's more efficient ways to do it. And that's actually one of the reasons I like Preet is that, um, and we talked about this, I think a week or two ago or a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, instead of just trying to do triangles and then figuring trial and error, figure out how to make them work, um, or try and sweeps and figure out how to make them work. I like the concept of getting into a sweep with somebody, um, and then pausing. So the only thing I have to do is like move in a direction and then the sweep works. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or get in, into a triangle. So I have your arm, I have your head, I'm locked in. All I have to do is squeeze and you get choked and then let you resist a bunch and do that for, mm-hmm. I don't know, five minutes, whatever. I'm going to finish yeah. 50 triangles. <clears throat> right. And I'm also going to build up muscles there to, to thigh master muscles so that I can actually handle doing triangles. That's something no one talks about triangles in particular, but is the, the weird muscles you need to squeeze to make a triangle work. But, sure, um, yeah. versus doing three triangles from the guard to the triangle itself. And it's like, I don't know if I've ever, I, I can count on one hand, the number of triangles I've literally hit from open or close guard on somebody right. in a live role. And I, I can't count the number of triangles I've hit on one hand against an adult because I've never done it. Maybe a white belt, maybe a white belt adult where they just don't understand posture and their hands are weird and I get a triangle. But I also don't do a lot of triangles, but I hit them on kids because they have no idea and they're tiny. Um, and so I'll do it slowly and get them. But it's like that's really it's really hard to do that. It's really difficult for one person to have one arm extended, one close to the body, and their posture is broken, and you can get a leg around their shoulders, behind their neck, before they posture up, and close your legs, and then hold the posture. And, like, that's all – there's, like, seven things the person has to fuck up. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but there is. Like, the the only way that you really ever get that against a blue belt or above is if they just don't – it's an accident. Like they just blue belts fuck up their posture and then you get a triangle or you deliberately force them to make those mistakes. Like whenever Brown butt Mark or whenever um, Brian triangles me or when you've triangled me, it's because you force my posture to break. Yeah. Right. Like from the guard or whatever, it's because you, you do a better job at breaking my posture than I do of keeping the posture. And then once it's broken, I'm fucked, you know, and then you know what to do to set things up. But it's like, you have to take that from me. I don't make those yeah, mistakes I, much, you know? And so drilling it without any resistance is futile. Cause like no one ever gets there. That's like 10 steps. And so if you can put someone in that position and be like, squeeze, 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 squeeze. And then the person in the triangle tries really hard. And then they learn also like how much they can take. They learn where to move. If I move this way, it's bad. If I move this way, it's better. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps with defense. And then maybe instead of the legs being fully locked, um, with your, uh, you know, your, your toes up to the ceiling there, your ankles are crossed only. And so you have to grab your shin, pull it and then lock it and squeeze. Mm-hmm. So now the person in the triangle has a little bit more room to, to escape. And then you just slowly work your way back to the guard. Um, that way you're just finishing more triangles and you're, you're introducing chaos slowly, but surely. Um, yeah, dude, I, what, I totally support that. Yeah. I think the, the old school, just do five reps and then switch with your partner and no resistance yeah. and all that, that I would, I would do that 
I would do that to introduce a technique, maybe, you know, for sure for white belts. But, you know, blue and purple, we all know what a triangle is. We know what the mechanics are. So we don't need to to drill it in that fashion, but then mm-hmm. go exactly like you were saying. Um, you know, I learned it as specifics or positional sparring, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, which apparently Hickson was huge on. Like, yes. Not a lot of people realize that but anybody that actually trained with him they always bring that up that he would do positional sparring the majority yep. of the of the sparring for that exact reason um and i, I yeah i would i would 100 support like once we get back in the gym kind of rolling full speed um to to try and incorporate more of that of rather than just a free-for-all spar or just you know drilling do five and then switch like you know do more of a Here's the position, assuming yep. everybody knows, you know, we'll call it triangles. Uh, here's the position, set up your triangle or maybe set up your top lock. Um, and then, you know, give, give 80% resistance. Yeah. You know, don't, don't go crazy. It's not a full spar, but um, it's either pass or submit. So if the person that you're trying to submit, if they get past your guard, then you reset. Yep, or yep, if yep. you tap them, you reset and just keep working that over and over. Yeah. I think that's some of the most valuable training. No, very true, and I think that what what you'll find is that that like, what 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 is it that people always say like the the to get the muscle memory right, you want to um, do something repetitively so your body gets used to it. But yeah. if you do three triangles from the guard to the choke, and then switch, and you do that for a couple of minutes, and maybe you in a class you hit ten triangles with maybe some resistance. Some classes will give a little bit of resistance as you get it down. Um, if I put you in my triangle and you try and escape, maybe at twenty percent, all the way up to a hundred, maybe you, maybe I can, I'm good enough at the squeeze that I can choke you out when you're going a hundred percent. Fine, if we're rolling hard, that's going to happen. So you need to be able to do that. Yeah. I could probably get fifty triangles in a class. I may fail a couple of times, especially if I open my top lock and then maybe I move back and instead of being um, at an angle to you, I'm I'm centered up to you and maybe the arms on one side instead of the other. So that's the next thing. There's more chaos. I got to lift the arm, you know, gather my shin, change my angle, you know, close the lock and then go like that's a lot of movements, but I'm still going to finish more triangles that way than the old method. And then it may be hard to get there. Because it's hard to get there. Like, it's not easy to get into a triangle. You need to do it for a long time to get there. But once, yeah. a, white, once, once a white belt gets there, they're like, oh, I know how to do this. Tap. Because they know how to choke. Yep. Um, I've been doing that with... Well, um, as you with, say, uh, you should be failing in that type of training. Oh, yeah. If, you, if you're never failing, then your partner's not giving you enough resistance. Right, it exactly. It needs to be that fine balance of, you don't know if you're going to get it. Because yep. they're given solid resistance, and if you get it, it feels good. And if you miss it, like oh, okay, I got to work on this little aspect or whatever. And that's what that's I'm working with. Learn. That's yeah. what I'm working with with the kids. Is like um, what I've been telling them is, uh, and with the adults that I've been teaching is, the first one or two, maybe three, you're working the kinks out after after I showed you something. So yeah, do a little resistance, not a lot. But I don't want you to just do it three times. I want you to do it ten and then switch. You know. So the next seven, you can do it with increased resistance. Like you need to know what it feels like. Really try and stop the person. You know, maybe you build up to that. Maybe you try really hard on the fourth rep and the person can't do it. So you got to peel it back and then you bump it up again and then you peel it back some more and then you just go back and forth. Um, You know, maybe because it's going to vary per person. Maybe some people need to win 80% of the time in order to not get frustrated. Okay, fine. 
I need to win about 10% of the time, I think. Maybe 10 to 30 probably would make me feel fine. I've never done the math, but I, I don't really care too much about that. Um, what I care about is there will be a number for me where in my head it seems like what I'm doing is effective. Yeah. I don't get frustrated. It's like, is this move effective, right? Is the way that I'm doing this mechanically strong and can I do it against high levels? And if I don't succeed enough, then I don't, I have no way to know if it's effective. Yep. But, um, so maybe that's like, maybe that actually is like 40%. Maybe I have to succeed 40% on an escape from the bottom of Mount before the Mount's effective. I don't think that's the case, but, um, maybe it would be, but, uh, what I've been doing with the kids is, um, I taught them the trap and roll. And then, uh, uh, last week two, for, the la- for the first two weeks of April and uh, with different resistances and different responses and stuff. And I basically st- started them all. And I started the adults this way as well, where they're on the bottom amount. They already have the leg trapped, which they should have first anyways. And then the, they have an arm. They're either already have their bite on the elbow or the arm is all the way over the body and they're hugging the arm. So the only thing they have to do is upa essentially or a side yeah. bridge um that's all they have to do and it's like okay go your your, your buddy on top who's gonna lose most likely will say go so you don't know when you have to do it but then you're just gonna bridge and then reset and then bridge and you're gonna get it and reset and buddy on top's gonna their whole job is to not get swept that's it and then we're gonna work through the problems that you find because the buddy on top is going to try and they're going to find things that don't work. You're going to bridge badly. You're not going to have the proper bend in your spine to bridge the direction you need to bridge. You're not going to get your head out of the way and bridge over the shoulder versus the, uh, the, you know, the, or bridge over the, like the, uh, the trap versus the shoulder. Um, cause you don't really want to bridge to the side. It's not really a, like a turn and bridge. It's actually, it's, it's similar to an UPA. Um, Hickson refers to it as an UPA, uh, like the, but I don't think it's actually, that's actually correct. I think there's a better way to think about it, but, um, but whatever the case, it, it, it's much more. <laughs> I always figured there's just a better way to do the UPA. That's how I yeah. look. Like it's still an UPA, but Hickson's showing us how to do it correctly, correctly. Well, that's so, why I looked at it, but he actually has a video about how to do the trap and roll. And it's, um, uh, he does what Preet calls a baby bridge. I um, mean, he, he describes it as an upa, but it, it's different than how we train upas. Like two upas are like on the the top corner of the shoulder, and then you look, right? Like you're actually on the shoulder. Um, and when Hickson does it, he does roll over like the top of the the collarbone, not the collarbone, but like the trap and everything up up above. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he doesn't talk about is that when you actually do that trap and roll movement or you do the baby bridge um, is you actually need to do like a a side crunch. So if I'm going to bridge to my right over my right part of the right side of my body, I want to side crunch to the left and turn either turn to look or bring my head out of the way so that I can get here over the top. Um, But that side crunch is the key because I need to, I need to put my shoulders in alignment with my hips. If I don't side crunch, then my shoulders face the ceiling or they face left or right, depending on the way that I bridge. And my hips don't face that same direction. They actually face off angle. And it's inefficient. And it it's one of the main reasons why people fail the trap and roll, I think. That and not getting the leg properly. But um, that also can be rectified by turning your hips and turning your body properly. Because if I turn my hips in a, at a better angle, I will naturally trap the foot with my hip so that it can't get out. Yep. Because if my hips are facing the ceiling, then... 
I, I'm trapping the leg with my thigh, my outer thigh. And if I turn my hips at the right angle, let's say I go to the right, my hip is facing the ground. So my hip is actually putting weight on the leg too. Yeah. And then as I, as I crunch left and um, misalign my spine, which is usually bad, but in this case, I'm actually aligning my shoulders and hips, which makes it good. I actually roll over the leg. Yes. Because my hip rolls into the leg, which yeah. causes my buddy's hip to go over my buddy's knee, which is bad for them and good for me because then they don't have any balance. Their other leg's weightless and they're going to fall one direction. And then I bridge over the top of the shoulder, over the top of the, uh, um, like the, the trap versus the, on the side or the tip top of the shoulder. Um, and Hickson does what I'm explaining when you watch him do it. Mm-hmm. But he, the way he explains it isn't in that much detail, which is totally fine. Like, I think he's aware of what he's doing. I just, it's just the way that he explains it isn't how I would explain it. Um, yeah, he, for sure. And I, we, we talked about that before, just with Hickson being seemingly more of a yeah. kinesthetic kind of guy. Well, he refers um, to it as an invisible jujitsu and it's like, it's not invisible. Yeah. You're just like, but they're such but small micro movements. And kinesthetic people find it hard to put words to what it is they're feeling. Yes. If they can make you feel what they're feeling, then they can communicate everything, but trying to attach words, eh, it doesn't always work that way. Matt no, Thornton does a really good job of breaking it down. Um, he says shorten the side, like a side crunch. He says shorten yeah. the side. Um, and, and all exactly all those details that you just mentioned. No, very uh, true, yeah. It's super, super effective, man. Yeah. No, it is. And like, um, I, uh, so you know, I'm teaching this to the kids with the trap and the roll. And one of the most common things that comes up is the person will take on top, will take whatever hand isn't trapped and they'll bring it across their body and they'll post mm-hmm. it. It's like, you have a hand. That's what you do naturally. Yep. If you don't do, you don't shorten the side as uh, Matt Thornton says and bridge trap the leg and bridge properly. You it's really difficult. And I would depending, um, I would claim it's almost impossible or it's just very hard to, execute a trap and a roll because the person's especially if they have good balance they're going to naturally find the place their hand needs to go that is a counter force to the direction you're bridging yeah because if they place <laughs> yeah, yeah if they put if they post into your bridge then like you're fucked that works because your hips are straight up and your shoulders are straight up and you're bridging wrong and so you bridge in a in a direction where the hand can go. If you turn the body and say, shorten the side as you bridge, it it just cut. You're able to change the angle very easily as you bridge. And then their post doesn't mean anything. You just simply work past the post. Yeah. And, um, I I was uh, going through this with uh, our two green belt sisters and, um, it's fun to watch them because they, they like to get a little intense with each other and they're both quite good. And, um, they had a lot of problems with this and I, it took me a while to figure out why I was like, I, I don't really have an issue with this, you know? And it's like, Oh, it's because of how I'm bending. I've done the bent enough that I, I don't, sometimes I'll fail, but usually I'll for, sometimes I'll forget to like turn my body, but mostly I, I get a good turn before I bridge. And so like a post doesn't bother me. I just po I just bridged through, not through it, but past it. Yeah. And at a different angle. And I finally realized that like um, one of the sisters on the bottom, she was turning her head, but she wasn't turning her spine. And I'm like, go, you know, before it's like, okay, so stop. Like you're bridging. I want you to mid bridge shorten that side. As you said, you know, I just told them to do a side crunch yeah, and, yeah. and then 
replant your feet and, and bridge slowly. And she just like took her sister over. I was like, think about the direction you need to go because you see their hand up above in one direction of your head, like go below it. You try and bridge past the hand below the hand. So you're changing the angle. Um, you know, it's not really efficient to bridge above it, given what you're doing, but you could try, but it wouldn't work because then they'd be able to use their shoulder shoulder pressure to stop the bridge. You need to go bridge below the arm so that they fall on their side. Um, but, uh, and then worked. And it's like, that's, I think that's like I said, that's why I think it's the biggest problem with that move is that people don't, they don't turn. And then you watch Huron do it because he has three film seminars on YouTube of where he just teaches people to trap and roll. And then he has like, there's like a famous one where for like 30 minutes, he has a bunch of military guys in fatigues and stuff at a gym, like try and stop the one he's like. Is he, is, he, is he rolling with everybody or is he just doing that technique to everybody? He's just doing the technique. He's like, anyone can sit on me. I will trap and roll you. That's all I'm going to do. He's like, all I'm going to do is trap and roll you. And then he just trap and rolls like 30 dudes. And, you know, he's really good. And so, like, it's th- there's going to be some amount of like a discrepancy with skill because he's so good. And that's one of his signature things is he loves to trap and roll. And even if some of these guys know what they're doing and they're blue, purple belts in jujitsu or whatever, it's like, it doesn't matter. This is it. He's an elite level black belt. Yeah, of course. Um, but Dude, I would so love, not that I would be able to defend it, but to, to lay, do like a proper dragon walk with it, like drop the hips. And if you're trying to yeah. do mount retention, you know, right, hook the legs right. and, and do all that. Um, I would love to see how he goes about defeating that. Oh, yeah. You know, because right now his purple belt is like, oh, I got an answer for that. I'm yeah. sure he has an answer for my answer. I'd, I'd be curious what that is. <laughs> no, me, me too. It, it's interesting to watch him do it. Is he, he he'll uh, he'll kind of sit there and he'll push on the legs a little bit. He'll try and trap an arm, and then his ability to attempt a tr- an arm trap, and then it gets foiled, and then his ability to just turn and bridge the other way is incredible. He just knows, and so he goes. But every time he does it, you you can see his whole body bent. He just like bends his whole upper body, and he's already looking the direction he wants to go and yeah. um and uh preach that first person i've ever heard that really talks about that movement and he refers to it as a baby bridge and as soon as he explained it um my best friend uh and his wife um, who's also a really close friend of mine but um, you know they have a like a one-year-old and they have a three-year-old and as soon as he said that i was like oh i've seen both of these kids do this because babies do it when they're trying to like roll over they like they they, okay. they they push their like uh, spine off the ground and put their weight on the back of their shoulders like a wrestler would for a bridge, and then they yeah. look over and they then they try and like roll over. It's like it's like a really cute little thing that infants do. Um, oh, baby and, bridge, okay. Yeah, and I was like, okay, like I get it. And then um, I use it for everything now. Like you can use it to not get choked in mount because it, it it cuts yeah. the cross the angle for the cross color goes away. Yeah. Because of you actually can like extend your neck and show the neck and look and bridge and it cuts the angle required for a cross color choke and for certain kinds of like um, just lapel chokes in general. Like it just negates them. Um, now, you got to be careful because if they adjust the angle, like you just get choked because you're exposing sure. your neck. <laughs> um, but that's been really fun to play with. I uh, um, I can't remember if it was Trino or Hawaiian Chris, but I, was, I, I tried that with one of them and actually managed to uh, not get choked. And they stopped the choke because they didn't like it was a weird position for them and they couldn't like maintain it. 
and um, I was like, okay, this kind of works. Like it was a one-time yeah. thing. You know, I tried it again later and one of them uh, uh, like bow and arrow choked me because I, it didn't work in that position. <laughs> I, I think it will. I just, I, I did it wrong. I think, and they have a good choke. And, um, but uh, it, it, I was like, okay, like, this isn't just for trap and rolls. Like I can just use this to like not get choked. I can use this to get out. I use it to get out of sight control. I, you just like m- move your body to the side and then someone tries to follow you and then you just frame, frame on a hip or frame on an arm and roll out. Yeah. Like it, well, p- mechanically part of what's happening is you can, you, you can apply force in more of, I'll call it a sideways direction, like rolling to your side rather than like up over your head. When yeah. you know, most people, you think of a bridge, um, and to be able to position your hips, which means you drop your lower knee and you kick the other foot back, all the, all the things that are part of the baby bridge, um, allows you to apply quite a bit of force in that sideways direction. Yeah. Which can, you know, you can either roll if you got them trapped up, but it's super awesome even just for creating space. Yeah. If you're inside control, boom, you get all kinds of space, and now you can either just get up or reclaim guard, you know, whatever you need. But it's a really, it's structurally a very stable position. Like yeah, super it, useful. Yeah. It is, and it, it's also annoying because no one does it. And so when I do it with people, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 I was uh, Chris actually so, so Tyler came by the gym and I was rolling with him and I was being defensive and keeping my elbows in and doing this kind of stuff and after the after the roll uh, Hawaiian Chris was there and he was like Tyler how'd you like that uh, that really annoying pre shit that Bo was doing because <laughs> 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 I just like lay you know like I don't move I don't like to just lay there completely but I'll let people like I've been letting never, you know uh, everyone try and run around me and try and find holds and you know um, like as an example like if i'm in uh the bottom of side control or s mount if i just lay there and like turn to my side and turn away from someone in side control not into them turn away from them like your mm-hmm. natural reaction is to try and get to s mount and reach under grab a collar if there's a gi and do like a collar choke or something like i'm giving you the back apparently mm-hmm. and then you know, i'm you know, gonna gift wrap you yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's the thing is like I know what's going to happen, so I, I'm just trying to risk fight, and then I fail and I get gift wrapped, and like that sucks. But um, it's like that's what I have to deal with. I don't really have to deal with getting my back taken yet. I have to deal with the hand that comes behind the head, and mm-hmm. so if I can if I can get that down, all I got to do is turn to my back again because in order like it's really hard to eliminate the space behind me if you're reaching up to get your hand underneath. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it's been kind of fun to troubleshoot that and be like, okay, well, maybe I, maybe I fail to get the hand, they get their hand in, I just roll to my back so that they don't get the opposite, opposite elbow. Cause once I get the elbow, then I'm really screwed, you know, like then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun to figure that stuff out. And, um, I'm excited to teach kids how to not, cause like, when we teach, when people teach jujitsu, it's like, okay, well, you're in the top of side control. So. If you're in proper side control, you have the head and you have the underhook. And like the number of times I roll with people and I get to side control and like I just get an underhook and a head. It's like when I roll with you, you don't give me an underhook. Why? Not if I can help it. Yeah, it's because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> but I roll with any kid or any, you know, white belt or blue belt and I've been to multiple gyms. And this is what happens is they just throw their elbows up and they're like, oh, go ahead. You you pass my guard. Like, I guess you're getting side control. <laughs> and it's like, no, like my goal is to train my kids to die before they give up an elbow. Like 
if you die, you win. Like you're not giving up an elbow, <laughs> you know, like I don't care. I don't care who it is. Never let me get your elbow. Don't, you don't, that's, it's a gift. Like you should, I, I, I should take that. I, I need to take it from you. Like it should never, you know, I, I always was always frustrated by that. It's like, I, I don't want anyone having a cross pin on me. And then I have to like work to escape from that position. That sounds fucking terrible. Oh, like yeah. you should, you should know what to do from there. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's like, I, and then what I've started to find is that as I hide the elbows and people can't get actual side control, like under, like it, it makes side control drastically less efficient from the top. Like there's yeah. not, there's way less you can do if you don't have my far side elbow. Like you're just like laying on me at that point. Don't accept the position as yeah. I've heard it a whole bunch, right? Like if, if you know someone's, they, they passed your guard, it's happening, dang it, they got passed, but don't accept the position. You mm-hmm. Protect your elbows, you know, don't give them that full locked in high pressure side bounce. That, no, yeah. there's, there's still a lot of fight left to be had. No, very true. And I, I think what I'm going to start doing is, uh, is explaining the importance of elbow, like elbows and how, how to control them, but how to not let people control them first and then have the, the kids grapple and deny elbows so they can get good at it. And then yeah. as they get proficient, be like, okay, well, you're going to fail sometimes. I've seen you do it. I've, I take your, cause I'm going to try and take all their elbows. Let's go over some things you can do if you get there. Don't get there, but let's, cause you need to learn it. Like if you get stuck there, like it sucks. So what do you do? Um, but I don't, I don't think we, I don't think people teach enough of don't give them elbows. Like just don't concede an elbow ever. Like that, that should be the goal. Like if your guard yeah, gets passed. Like, it, it's kind of like transitional escapes. Like we learn an escape from say side control. Like you're in side control. This is what you do to get out, which is great, but it's also worth training. Here's what you do when someone's trying to get or they're about to get yeah. side control. This is what you can do if you don't give up that elbow. Now you have these options and get used to working that rather than just laying flat. Nope, you got side control. Now, how'd that escape go again? You know? So. Well, yeah, it's, you know, d- degrees of threat and trouble, right? It's like, yeah. And this is a problem you have to, you have to like learn over time. It's like white belts have like new people, even blue belts, like have no idea. Um, you said don't concede the position. It's like they don't have any idea, like, once their guard is passed, that it's passed and they should stop trying to fight to get their guard back. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest problems with giving up an elbow is that once your guard is passed, a lot of new people just don't realize that that's a that's – a, you need to move on. You need to concede yeah. that and move on to what is next. Not concede the, the side control, but – Sometimes you just need to concede that your guard has been passed. And so you can go into the retention phase and you can try retention or you can move on to whatever the what is the most next direct threat. Like what's the biggest threat now? Because the biggest threat isn't that they're going to pass your knees. They've already done that. And so, you know, it took me a while to learn that. Like I finally I think Sean actually mentioned it once. Uh, These are Sean or Mark. They're like I was having trouble with them passing my guard. And it was Mark actually. And he's like, he's like, well, the problem you're having is that you let me do something. And then once I do it, you try and fight to stop me from doing it. And I've already done it. Like my knee's already passed your, your hip. Like I've already passed your guard. And so you're trying to get your knee line back. And you know, that's the least of your problems. Like you should try and retain, but that's different than trying to stop me from getting your knee line. Like they're two separate problems and one just doesn't exist anymore. And because you fight to regain what you were trying to do, you leave your elbows free. And then I get 
I, I get to mount with an arm or I get to sight control and I have your arm, like, which, you know, cause you post your hands out, right. And your yeah. elbows are away from the body. And it's like, and there are way there, are, you know, there are exceptions to that rule. Like there, and that's kind of what you learn as a, as an advanced practitioner is you learn how to, uh, to break those rules and bend them because you need to. But, um, I think learning that skill of don't get people your elbows, this, these problems won't happen. Sometimes you have to extend your elbows away from you for necessary reasons, maybe not into a hip. So you don't break a wrist, but you know, sometimes you need to extend your, your, your hands, but we can slowly teach you why that would be the case. And then you can try and fail. Um, it just, yeah, it, it, as I've been learning more about how to teach, I've been kind of realizing that a lot of the ways that, um, and Brian's actually done a good job of not teaching this way for a lot, for most of the way that he teaches, which I'm really happy about. But, um, I think a lot of the way people teach is in jujitsu is flawed. It's like backwards from how everyone actually learns and how everyone else ever teaches. Yeah. You know, it, um, it, it, I've always found it kind <laughs> There's of, a lot of shitty instruction out there. I would say it's, it's backwards of how people naturally learn. But yeah. The, it, across all education, there's a lot of uh, ill advised yeah, instruction. <laughs> but like one of the things I find very interesting um, is that you have like white and blue belt curriculum. Right. And everyone knows this. Like there's, I mean, everyone knows there's, there's a white and blue belt curriculum. And then as you get into purple belt and above, you develop advanced moves that work at the higher level. And it's like, okay, what are the high level non-beginner wrestling moves? Like, what do you learn as an advanced wrestler that you could not learn as a day one wrestler? And the answer is nothing. Because Jordan Burroughs has been doing a, a double leg since he started, as is every there's, other. I would think there's a few, and I, I think, and I agree with your example. But I think that it, that speaks to kind of like Hodger. It's like they, sure. there are some advanced things that you really you got to have some experience to be able to pull off. Oh yeah, of your course. Bread and butter. What you're actually using to win is the day one double leg at yeah. an incredibly high level. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so for for me what I'm trying to do at the same time is like, what is the stuff that works at the highest level? And I don't mean like spider guard. I mean like, what is the fundamental stuff that works? Like why does spider guard work? Not what is spider guard? It's like, how does, how does it, why is it effective? And then how do I teach that? Like, that's what I want kids to learn. If they, if they want, and if they want to use spider guard to execute it, that's fine. Like that's a technique that they can use, or in this case, it's like a guard system, but it's a technique that they can use. Um, I'm much more interested in the things that high level grapplers use and are effective at. Like, why don't you ever see an Americana as an example in world championships? Yeah. But you show it to white belts. It's like, that's like the day one move is the Americana from the Mount. Yep. Like, but you see Camoras all the fucking time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's because Camoras are effective and Americanas aren't. Near as I can tell, like that's that's my guess, that's my hypothesis. Is yeah. that I mean they obviously work, like you can do an Americana, but it's really hard. Yeah, at the higher levels, that's definitely low percentage. Yeah, and knee bars are the same thing. Like you don't see knee bars in black belt level world championships. It's very rare. Yeah. Sometimes you do. Like there are some people who are good at him. Bernardo Frias, to come back to him, he had a, a drop knee bar from uh, um, his uh, smash passing. 
you know, he'd have the over under and then the, the over arm when he would pass that direction, the leg would be exposed and he'd wrap his legs underneath and then just basically bridge down into a knee. Very violent. Yeah. Um, but you really don't see that many knee bars at high level after brown belt. And part of it's because they learn how to defend them. Yeah. But, um, and so, but there's, maybe you should teach knee bars. I'm not saying you shouldn't. It's just that, um, what is the, what are the fundamentals that always work at, at the black belt, at the world-class level? It's like, that's what we should teach white belts from day one. And then the black belt, 80, 20. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then, and, and then tell them like, look, this is why this works. And here's, here's how it works from cloak, from open guard, from like just butterfly guard, um, figure it out from a guard of your choice. If you want to do De La Hiva, fine. I don't care. If you want to do X guard, fine. If you want to do spider guard, um, fine. But because all of those guards is an example, like they're all using the same fun. Like a sweep only works one way. Like there's only like you need to, to accomplish a couple of things to get a sweep from the bottom. Mm-hmm. But if you don't accomplish those things, a sweep does not work, period. It isn't rocket science. Yeah. If, like, right, you, you have to, uh, Kazushi, you have to off balance them and take away their posts. That's basically it. There might be one other thing you need to do, break their posture. Like it's hard to actually sweep someone if their posture's up. Um, right. So break posture, take away their, ba- their base and then off balance them. There you go. That's every sweep ever. Now, the way you do that, there's an infinite number of ways, right? And, and Keenan came up with 10 of them, and they have weird names. And, uh, you know, from his, all of his guard systems, and then Marcelo did the, you know, the butterfly sweep and, 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 and whatever else, you know, and the, the shoulder crunch butterfly and uh, um, with or whatever, the, whatever um, Don John Dana refers to it as. But um, it's like... That's the kind of shit that I think should be taught. And then you can use your signposts. You can use basic fundamental old school positions if you want versus new ones. Or you could use new ones. That doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I've been trying to figure that out. It's like um, how can I versus showing moves that white belts will stop using three months in because they realize that it doesn't work and that they're never going to they're never going to accomplish an arm bar from guard or an arm bar from mount because no one's ever going to push up on their chest. It's like. Yeah. I, I, though, to, I guess to be fair, I actually have people push up on my chest and it works. <laughs> it actually works in a role because you never expect it. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I've actually, uh, Sean's uh, um, uh, coach, uh, his instructor, Kyle McCutcheon, who's like a second degree black belt, um, he likes to do stuff like that. He likes to fuck with people and do weird things. Mm-hmm. And I, he'd let, he'd let me mount him. I shouldn't say that I mounted him. He'd let me mount him. Um, and he just like pushed his hands up and I didn't like, it was really weird cause I wasn't expecting it. So like it took me a second and then I started to go for an arm bar cause it's the only thing I knew how to do from there. And he literally brought his knees in and butterfly swept me from the bottom of Mount. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's like six, three, two thirty, So he's a lot bigger than me. And oh, he actually, he actually rolls pretty light, but, uh, for his size, but like, so I, there was some, some bit of that that had something to do with it. But, um, in terms of his ability to sweep me from there, but like, I wasn't doing anything. Like he, he managed to stop me from doing anything with his hands, got his knees in and then just grabbed my shoulders with his massive hands. Like the, like the, the delt, like the top of the shoulder. <laughs> and then just like rotated my whole body. Just straight, straight up, That's just grabbed funny. the top of my shoulder, was just like, you're going to turn this way and I'm going to take you over. And I couldn't post. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't do anything. And I was like, I just got butterfly swept from the top of the mount. 
<laughs> just never a sentence I thought I would hear. Nice. <laughs> like that. that shouldn't have happened. But um, yeah, see, I would but, like to to take part in a class that say, you know, armbar, for example, um, that takes all of the common elements of arm bars. So, yeah. you know, hip position relative to the shoulder and entries and all that, but go through like 20 different arm bars and keep pointing out, this is how you get your hips next to the shoulder in this position. Yep. This is how you get in this position. So basically tying them all together, this is, these are the common elements, no matter what position you're actually in, mm-hmm. accomplish these two or three things and you have yourself an arm bar. And see, um, I, think I think that that'd be super valuable. I do too. I think that that's um, partly how I think I would like to structure an advanced class. Yeah, I think it'd be. I think it's too much for beginners. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not white belt for sure. Yeah, um, but um, but you need to like put them in a position where it's easy to win at first, and then they can understand mm-hmm. resistance and how to fail. Because yeah. if they just fail, then they don't ever want to do it. It's hard. Yeah. But you get someone who understands these nuances. Maybe you should be purple belt and above. I don't know. Maybe a good blue belt could do it. I couldn't have done it in my first year as a blue belt. It would have been over my head, what you're sure. describing. It would have been too much, I think. But um, but I think that, that that's probably correct, actually, uh, because of how someone who's done this long enough to understand the nuances, the small details, that's actually the kind of learning that they need. Yeah. That's how you challenge yourself is because the difference – because to break an elbow is the same. Like there's – like with any mechanical stri- like there's one way to mechanically break an elbow like or, or I shouldn't say there's one way um, the way to break an elbow is to isolate the wrist slash hand and the shoulder and then apply a huge amount of pressure into the into the or a small amount I guess but really a large amount of pressure against the elbow like that's what you do now there's a large number of ways like you said to, to do that and so someone who understands how to break an elbow is like well I want to learn the finer points like if you rotate your arm just slightly one, two degrees, one direction, an arm bar doesn't work anymore. Like it just doesn't like if I turn my thumb, you know, they always say like, you need to, Hey bro, grip and turn the thumb um, mm. a certain way and then pull the arm. It's like, well, you say that because if the arm is gripped a certain way, then the, arm, the elbow bends. Yeah. If you, but if you have it where the elbow doesn't bend, but my elbows, you know, let's see uh, if I can get the camera, my elbows here versus here, like it's a barely a turn. But that could be the difference for me between a broken elbow and mild discomfort. Yeah. And often is. On, I mean, that's yeah. – anytime that I've ever gotten an escape or someone's escaped me, that's been part of what happened. Is yeah. Turn that angle so it's not yeah. that you know direct li- alignment and then wiggle somehow whether you're doing a hitchhiker or, yeah. or whatever. But Yeah. Yeah, and, and like that's extremely beneficial for people who, in order for them to grow, they actually need to focus on small details versus big details. Yeah. Because the big details, they chunk together, right? You understand in totality how an arm breaks. For a, a brand new person, those are, those are, there's a lot of details there that you need to show one at a time. And then once you learn them and you understand, I need to pinch the shoulder and remove slack so that all the pressure from the elbow doesn't bleed into the shoulder and then you don't get an arm bar because that's what happens. Your shoulder absorbs all the force and then an elbow it doesn't do anything, you know, that kind of thing. Um, once they've internalized all that, that's all one motion for, you, for them. So when you do an arm bar, yeah. you, just gra- you just grab and go. Like you, yeah. it's just an arm bar. Um, but the angles are different everywhere. The angle's different if you pull the leg over the pull the arm over the leg side 
the, the head side leg or the far, the far leg. The angles are different from guard as versus in top of mount. If you're in the, if you're um, sitting on somebody on the side, like uh, mount, mounted, literally mounted on top of them, it's different than if you're on the side of them versus if you're belly down versus if you do it from turtle, like they're, it's, like they're all weird. If you switch, if you go from backpack to a, uh, um, like say weak side to an arm bar, that's different, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, it's like, you need to understand the, the minutia there. What do you do if the person turns their arm all the way around and they try and roll out and you stop them halfway? Like, that's a really weird angle. Yeah. You know, do you push up or down or do you bridge left or right? Do you bridge sideways into the elbow to break it? Like that's effective. That's how you, that's how you do a knee bar. You know, you just br- bridge through the side of the knee. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, yeah, no, I, the core I think that concepts that, are always the same. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's, that's really what I'm trying to like identify. And, um, I was talking to Sean a bit about this. What I want to do is, um, cause I have the white to blue Pedro Sauer DVD, um, from the gym and, uh, is I want to stay true to like what he shows, but show it and update it in a way that focuses on those fundamentals because he's been doing what Elio has been doing, what Hickson has been doing for years. And there's some updates that I think need to be made. And I think that there's actually some concepts that they don't touch upon that would be better for white belts to learn yeah. first from a, from a self-defense standpoint as well. Cause I, I want to stick to that. But um, my goal is to, is to teach it in such a way that um, it's the retention's better and their ability yeah. to execute it is better um, because it's much more conceptual which is a lot of work, but I, um, it's one of those things that I've been enjoying trying to do. And so I've, I've been starting with the trap and roll because it's kind of the, that that's one of your day one fundamentals. And it's like, okay, well, how do you, how do you do this? Um, I'm going to implement framing, not necessarily elbow escapes, but framing from the bottom of mount. I did been doing that this week. Um, so how to properly frame into a hip. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can frame into a hip and no one resists. And you think you have a frame and then you roll with a purple belt, and you don't have a frame anymore. Like, <laughs> like that's just what happens. Is like I, I, I think I have a, I thought I had a frame for a long time, and then until I rolled the Trino and Mark, and then and you, and it's like then I don't have a frame. And then Sean one day is like, hey, that you're doing a frame wrong. And then I put in a frame against Trino and Mark, and it's like they have a harder time. It still sucks. They still get past it, but like all of last week, you know, um, this isn't to like brag against uh, rolling with brown and black belts. I hope no one's like, Oh my God, Bo's just, <laughs> Bo just like, it's Bo a humble like, brag, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, Bo, Bo's just like, you know, just bragging about how he, sh- you know, he, how he uh, shits on these brown and black belts. It's like, no, it's like, a, that's what's what I focus on when I grapple with them. Cause they're always on top. And so like, I have like one goal and it's still like frame when I'm in Mount, when, when Mark has mounted <laughs> me, my goal is to like frame. And so if I succeed at that, I'm really fucking happy. I don't care if he, cause he'll inevitably isolate my arm. And then he, gets high mount and then he just sits there and it's like he did, sometimes he'll be like ah this is this is comfortable and i was <laughs> like fuck you just just arm bar me or like choke me or like break my wrist just, just like do like i'm just gonna tap like and so like but if i succeed at the frame for 10 seconds like i'm happy because that's a long time to frame somebody when they're trying to high mm-hmm. mount you yeah. and it's like sean showed me that kind of implement it properly and like how to structurally make it strong. And it's like, okay, I can make that work. I'm not great at it, but I can make it work. And it's like, it works, you know, when Trino is a black belt, it's like trying to get rid of that arm and he's having trouble. I'm like, yes, I can do this. Like, I'm not going to get cocky and be like, I have the best frame. It's like, I don't, I have a shitty frame, but it's good enough that 
and gives him pause. And now I need to work on it because he's going to come back tomorrow and fuck me up with it. You know, like, you know, I'm constantly trying to improve that, but it's like, that's the kind of stuff I want to teach is like, how do I survive for five seconds to move on? Um, why does, and also why does this work? Because a proper frame on the bottom amount is the same as a proper frame in side control. Um, it's the same as a proper frame if someone passes your guard and attempts to get to side control. You know, it's the same as a frame if you're in a collar tie. Like, it's the same frame as a collar tie. It's not really any different. I'm engaging the shoulder just like you would if you punch somebody. And I'm using my elbow for pressure, not my hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like, it, it, and that's the other reason I like this stuff, thinking about it this way, is that when I, then when I teach kids a collar tie, I can be like, remember when you were mounted and you framed and you and you sat up and pushed someone off of you? Well, that's what a collar tie is. You're just standing and you have your hand around the neck as opposed to around a hip. It's like there's not your angle's slightly different, so you got to learn. But you just collar tie someone and push them, and then when they push back, you sweep them, or you, I mean, you throw them, or you do a double leg, or you try and guillotine them, like, or you sit into guard, which is fine. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I've been missing that kind of stuff. I realize it's not really being taught that way. I don't see any of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that I learn, like they're not explaining it in that, in that way. They explain it as different techniques that you do. And it's like, I want the concepts and then I want to understand how they, how those branch off into all things, you know? Yeah. It's so much easier right, for me to... It's- it's, it's definitely more of an advanced concept. Like you have to have a foundation that, you know, blue belt at least type of foundation of the basic movements. We don't have to go over yeah. the minutia of, a, of an arm bar. You know what an arm bar yeah. is. Okay, great. Let's move on. And then start tying in the concepts. Yeah. And it, to like, me, that's like, that's when the, the, the letters and the words become sentences and paragraphs in the yeah. language of jujitsu. You know, um, you start tying them together into new meaningful things. Yep, and that, that's kind of the hope. Is I, I, I just want to see. Um, it'll be a nice experiment. Hopefully, I don't fuck up a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Good news is it works. Bad news yeah, is right. little Johnny's going to be out for a while. <laughs> yeah. No, I, my my uh, my my hypothesis is that what's going to happen is uh, um, I'm going to approach these things and explain, Hey, this is why this is a fundamental, like basic movement in jujitsu, whether you want to look at it as a concept or however is fine. Um, this is why it works and it works everywhere. And we'll go into those things. And I'm going to give you some small techniques to demonstrate it, but there's thousands more. This is not it. Excuse me. This is not it. Um, and then as you progress and you internalize this more, because they're not going to get it, you know, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time harping on it. I'm just going to say, this is, a, this is why this works. We're going to do it a bunch. And then as they understand and internalize it, they can broaden their knowledge of, the, like you said, of the concept, right? And that's when you get from words to paragraphs. Um, that's when the small details of how an armbar works in different positions becomes more of a reality. It's like you, once you fully understand like how to break an arm, then it's like, okay, well, now I can show you to break an arm in different areas. You know, once you understand how a leg lock works, like now I can show you different positions in a leg lock like an, and how the break is different in different positions. And then you have the Achilles lock and then you have the uh, the, the actual just the foot out of the ankle lock. And then you have the toe hold and then you have the inside and outside heel hook and, um, you know, the knee bar, like all those kinds of things. Um, then you have your different escapes and how they work. And, and then I can let them also find their own escapes. I don't know them all. Kids always well, ask no, me I mean, questions like, the, how do you do this? Go ahead. That, that's where the concepts become so valuable. Yeah. That's where, you know, it, it, 
for, for my journey, and not that I've done a whole lot of this, but the times that I have come across something that is new to me, I haven't invented anything, but I've done I've done moves that I've never been taught, and it's because I'm I'm looking for those fundamental concepts. Yeah. Like, okay, I just need to fill that space. I need to get past this. If I can get yep. my arm in here, then I'll have a good friend, you know, whatever. Um, and it turns into something useful that I had yeah. no idea what was going to happen before that. I just knew I need to get my elbow into that spot or right. whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, someone else in the gym will be like, oh, yeah, that's an, you know, that's a this escape or that's that kind right. of a sweep. Yep. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. it's got, of course, it has a name, but, yeah. you know, there needs to be a little bit of experimentation, I think, on the part of the the doer, you know, the yeah. person who's doing, you know, and especially with kids, like, I want them to try new things and question and basically do the scientific method. Like, yeah. this is how you make an explosion, go blow shit up. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, that, this is, that's how science works. And so a sweep, an escape works this way. Like, this is what you need to escape. Is I mean, really, you just need a space to escape, I guess, um, most fundamentally. So how do you create space? Because you're not going to be given space. And if you feel it, you need to learn how to feel it and then go. You know, yep. um, I actually dealt with that yesterday. One of the kids I was grappling with, he's a teenager, and I was in Mount and letting him do some things. And I'd, like, lift a knee up. He'd, like, turn. say so he turned to his left, right, to try and execute like an with a frame trying to execute an elbow escape and i lift my uh, my left knee up so the knee on the opposite side and he wouldn't feel the space i'm giving him all this space for to him to basically shrimp yeah. away from me and he didn't get it and i i I'd put bring my foot up for five seconds put it down and finally i like tapped his butt with my foot and i didn't say anything it's like tapped his butt and then put my leg down and then i put it up and then he kind of paused for a second he like looked behind him and then he shrimped away and i was like there you go like it's like you gotta you gotta feel that. Like you have to know when my yeah. leg's not there anymore, because all you have to do is shrimp away, and then you retain guard. Like that's it. If I give you that space, you take it. Just don't wait. Just go. You know, and yeah. maybe it's a wrong decision, and you'll learn. But that's how you learn. Um, you know, it's fascinating shit, though. It's a uh, it's simply it's simplified my game for me. That's the thing that I've liked about it is that I mm. um, I'm not thinking as much. You know, it's like like you said, I got to get my elbow here. It's like that's one thing to think about. Yeah. Versus I need to execute whatever sweep or whatever. It's like, I just need to get my elbow here. And then from there I have space and then, okay, well now I need to figure out what direction I can make that space. And then I get out. Um, it, um, I find it's a lot easier at this point than, uh, um, trying to think too much about everything else. It's like, what's the most immediate problem? Yep. And then there we go. Yeah, man. Dude, we're, we're, at 90, we're, we're on 90 minutes. We're at 90 minutes. Yeah. And I actually forgot to plug my uh, laptop in. And so uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we hope you have a good rest of the uh, uh, afternoon, the evening, and the or morning. morning. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. Peace. Peace.